Welcome to Folk Liar. I'm the Chief Liar, Brian. I'm going to tell you a lie, but I'm also going to tell you two pieces of authentic folklore. If you can figure out which of the three stories is a lie, you could win a luxurious mug. All the details are real, except for the story I made up. And if you know your folklore, you should be able to spot the fake. I've rewritten all the stories in my own style, so whether you're a folklore expert or not, you can still have fun listening and take a guess anyway. I'll tell you how you can enter and win at the end of the show. In the previous episode, we met three monsters found in the folklore of North American lumber camps. There was the hodag, the ugliest critter in the woods, the dangerous snagleg, just waiting to trip up the unwary, and the slide rock bolter, bane of Colorado tourists. You'll remember that I promised to make the choices much more difficult last time around, and this certainly paid off with almost everyone guessing the fake folklore story immediately. For those of you who didn't get it, the snag leg was the fake. Well done all of you, and thank you to everyone who entered. The winner of the luxurious mug, selected by random draw from all the correct answers, was Jared Artesh, whose name I hope not to have butchered too badly. Congratulations, and enjoy the mug. October continues and Halloween draws ever nearer. How enticing it would be to fall into the same sorts of traditional stories that one usually gets this time of year. And yet, I can hardly ignore the poll. After all, what is folklore if not traditional? So let's give in just a bit and relate three tantalizing ghost stories, each with a little twist all their own, either in plot or in origin. For example, our first ghost story, if true, is one of the oldest ghost stories ever written down. Supposedly, it comes to us from Pliny the Younger, in a letter he wrote to a friend. In Athens, there used to be a large and spacious house. However, those that lived near it said that it was a house of ill repute and riddled with disease. It was said that late at night, if you happened to be staying there or passing by on the street, you could hear metal clanking on metal. If you listened carefully, they said it sounded like the rattling of chains on a slave's wrists and ankles. If you listened long enough, the sound, which started out in the distance, would slowly get closer and closer. Then a phantom would appear. It looked like an old man, all skinny and unkempt with raggedy clothes. He had a long, shaggy beard and bristling hair, and chains did indeed hang from his hands and feet, rattling as he approached. He terrified all who saw him, and the people who lived in the house were unable to sleep, kept awake by terror of the unwanted visitor. After many nights of barely getting any rest at all, their minds and bodies could no longer take the strain, and they eventually died from the madness of fear. Even in the cold light of day, they still imagined they could see the specter walking among them, even though he was not there. And so, the house came to be deserted, and was judged by all around to be absolutely uninhabitable, and was therefore abandoned entirely to the ghost. However, the landowner had hopes of finding someone ignorant of the house and its walking horror, who might still rent or buy it, and so he advertised its availability without explaining its situation. 
It happened that Athenodorus, the philosopher, came to Athens at this time, and reading the advertisement ascertained the price. The extraordinary cheapness of the price at which it was offered raised his suspicion. Asking around, he soon found out why the price was so remarkably low, but rather than being discouraged from renting it, he was even more eager to do so than before. He and his household were soon moved in. In the early evening, Athenodorus ordered a couch prepared for him in the front of the house. He asked for a light and his pen and tablets, then sent all his people off for the night to their rooms, so that his mind would not wander and imagine all sorts of noises and apparitions on its own, he turned his full attention to his writing and focused on it. The first part of the evening was uneventful, and for a few hours Athenodorus was undisturbed. But then the clanking of iron fetters could be heard some distance away. However, Athenodorus neither looked up from his tablet nor laid down his pen. Instead, he closed his ears to the noise by concentrating his attention more fully on his work. The noise slowly increased in volume and advanced nearer. Gradually, it seemed as if it were at the door of the room, then inside the very room itself. Only then did Athenodorus look up, only to see the apparition standing before him exactly as it had been described to him. The old man's phantom stood before him, beckoning with a finger, but Athenodorus indicated with his hand that the ghost should wait a little, and turned again to his writing. Annoyed, the ghost rattled his chains over Athenodorus's head so that concentration was impossible. Looking up from his work, he saw the figure beckoning to him once again, so he got up, took up a lamp, and followed it. Slowly the ghost walked along, as if encumbered by its chains. Out of the room the two proceeded in the glow of the lantern, down the hall, and out into the dark of the courtyard. The apparition took a few steps into the courtyard, and then vanished, much to Athenodorus' surprise. Deserted, he marked the spot where it had left him with a handful of grass and leaves, and retired for the night. The next morning, Athenodorus went to the magistrates, and advised them to order the spot in the courtyard dug up. There, they found bones mingled and intertwined with chains. The body had long ago rotted away, and the chains were slowly corroding the now bare bones into nothingness. Once the bones were collected, and the body laid to rest at public expense, the house was at peace and haunted no more and Athenodorus enjoyed his long tenure there. Japan is, to Western eyes, often very odd. You might be tempted to think of this next story as one more example of such oddity, but then ask yourself, who among us has not been afraid of the mysteries of the public restroom? The Japanese just gave it a name. Hanako of the Toilet. In 1945, the world was at war, but it had not yet reached everyone in Japan in the way it soon would. The Americans had great difficulty in bombing Japan during the war, and early on, any strikes against Tokyo and other cities were haphazard at best, 
mostly missing their intended targets. Little Hanako was a little girl of school age. She had her hair done up in a bun and a pretty little red skirt she liked to wear. She delighted in playing games with her friends around the school. In particular, she enjoyed playing hide-and-seek and was often the last to be found. Her friends could be heard across the schoolyard calling out to her at the end of the game. They would go from room to room asking, Hanako-san, are you in there? Until she answered, Yes, I am. And then they would all go off to start the game again. This day, she had a particularly good hiding spot, way up on the third floor, in the third stall of the girls' bathroom. She tucked herself into the corner, where she was sure she couldn't be seen, and waited for her friends to come looking. The bomb that hit the school was meant for a nearby factory. Hanako heard the warnings, but they were too late to save her. When the bomb hit, Hanako died. But something of her remained, and not just in the school she went to. Hanako waits in all schools all across Japan, always in the third stall on the third floor in the girls' restroom, waiting to be found by her friends, waiting, perhaps, to be found by anyone. They say she can be summoned by knocking on her stall door three times and asking, Hanako-san, are you in there? If she is, she will reply in the sweetest, quietest little girl's voice, Yes, I am. And the stall door will open up just a bit. If the student is foolish enough to investigate, they will see the ghost of little Hanako, wearing her red skirt with her hair up in an old-style bun. Just before she grabs the foolish student, and pulls her into the toilet straight down to hell. Hanako really likes this game. Ghosts get everywhere, even into the halls of power themselves. No doubt you'll have heard stories about Lincoln's ghost roaming the White House, but did you know Lincoln himself encountered a ghost there while he held office? On the night of July 4, 1863, all was quiet in the White House. Independence Day celebrations had been brief and muted. With the U.S. Civil War still in full swing, it was hard to know what to celebrate. Just the day before, the three-day-long Battle of Gettysburg had been concluded, and while the Union had won the battle, over 50,000 Americans had died. Meanwhile, the Siege of Vicksburg had just completed its 46th day. All this and more weighed heavily on the mind of Abraham Lincoln, and as a result, he was finding it difficult to sleep. He'd spent many long days, and even longer nights, pacing the halls and rooms of the White House recently, the weight of a country at war on his mind. On this particular night, Lincoln had just completed his fourth or fifth circuit from the first floor east room up the grand staircase to the second floor, down to the eastern end of the central corridor, and back again. Perhaps it gave Lincoln some comfort to be able to look out the window at the end of the hall, well past midnight, and see lights on across the lawn at the Treasury Department. 
Salmon P. Chase possibly hard at work? Perhaps not. Lincoln turned to retrace his steps back to the grand staircase. He began to hear the sound of footsteps coming, slowly and methodically, up the stairs at the far end. Thinking it might be one of his aides coming with a message about the war, he picked up his own pace to meet them. Oddly, when the footsteps should have reached the top of the stairs, nothing was visible to Lincoln in the dim light of the nighttime corridor. Still, the footsteps could be heard approaching, this time across the carpeted floor of the upper landing, headed in Lincoln's direction. Lincoln, thanks to his wife Mary Todd, had become something of a spiritualist. While disconcerting, disembodied footsteps were not a cause for fear for Lincoln, rather for curiosity, and so he continued to approach the source of the sound. As he neared the location of the slow tread on the floor, an indistinct gray figure began to take shape from out of the darkness. It was tall and thin and seemed to be dressed in funeral wear. The face was impossible to decipher at their present distance, but there was something about the overall shape of the figure which seemed familiar to him. As they neared each other, the figure, never quickening its steps, seeming as it appeared to Lincoln, to be deep in thought, it suddenly became clear to him who this apparition was. What Lincoln was seeing was himself, dressed as if attending a funeral, but concerned even so with matters of state. As they neared each other, the ghostly Lincoln turned aside and entered the room leading to Lincoln's own bedroom. As Lincoln followed, his other self faded from view. For a few moments, Lincoln contemplated what this could all mean. Was it a premonition of death? If so, whose? If not, what else could it mean? Or was it but the imaginings of his overworked mind? Whatever it meant, whatever he had seen, Lincoln decided to follow the one piece of concrete advice he had given himself in the brief encounter. He went to bed. Did those stories send chills up your spine? Do ghosts send you hiding under the sheets? Well, fear not. One of them isn't a real ghost story. But which is it? How can you tell? And does that make things any better? Is Pliny's ghost worth a rattle? Did Hanako of the toilet leave you flushed? Or did Lincoln meets himself give you a shadow of a doubt? If you think you know, and even if you don't, send your guest to liar at folkliar.com. If you're correct, you'll be entered into a drawing for this episode's prize, a luxurious mug. Don't wait too long, though. You've only got five days from this episode's release date to enter. Be sure to include the episode title in the response so I know which show you're entering for. We can be found on the web at folkliar.com and on Twitter at folk underscore liar. Folkliar is supported by your generous contributions on Buy Me a Coffee. Head over to buymeacoffee.com slash fiddleback to join in supporting the show. You'll join such luminaries as Michael F., Eric, I.S. Destroyer, 
Hidetui, The Bound Fenrir, Lasmos, Arthur P.C., Joka Jatufe, Neroro, Zenerai, Jordan, Ingild P., Muwuzuti, and Darth V.O.B. Thanks to everyone for your generous support. And thank you for listening. Folklier is a production of Fiddleback Productions and is researched, written, and produced by Brian Casey. Music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Our luxurious mug prize is awarded by random draw from among all correct entries. Entries are only accepted by email to liar at folklier.com. Entries are due no later than five days after the episode is first published. One entry per person. Please.